um, it's got quite a few scriptures in here today, and so you probably want to get your Bibles out um, and flick through, but I'll move fairly quickly, so um, we may not catch up. We'll see how we go. So the first scripture I want to read is in Exodus uh, 23, and it talks about the three feasts uh, that were celebrated in the Old Testament by the children of Israel. And in verse 14 it says, Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days, as I command thee, in the time appointed of the month Abib. For in it thou camest out of out from Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labour, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labours out of the field. So there are the three feasts there, the unleavened bread, the feast of harvest, and the feast of ingathering. Um, these feasts also go by a few other names. So you may have heard of them. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread is associated with the Passover. In fact, Passover happens the day prior to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that goes for about, that feast goes for around seven days. Um, Fifty days later is the next feast, which is the Feast of Weeks. Uh, in Exodus, it's referred to the Feast of Harvest, but it's also known as the Feast of Weeks, uh, because it's seven weeks after the, the first festival. And then the final feast, uh, which was in Exodus called the Feast of Ingathering, is also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. This is at the end of the, um, well, a few months later, in the seventh month, and again, this one lasts for seven days. So what I want to look at today is a number of characteristics of each of these feasts. So each feast has represents some aspect of the Exodus, some aspect of the children of Israel being delivered out of Egypt and then entering the Promised Land. Each feast is also associated with a particular harvest, so it's an agricultural festival, basically a public holiday um, to celebrate the harvest. But each feast can also represent a resurrection event, and we'll go through that um, throughout this presentation. That's where my main focus will be. As I mentioned before, each of these feasts is related to a harvest, and harvest is about new life. It's about a seed that's been planted and bringing forth new life in, in, in a sort of symbolically representing resurrection. In fact, Jesus spoke about in John 12, verse 24 uh, and 23, Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a corn of wheat fall, into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. So the, the seed is planted, it, it, in essence it dies, but it brings forth new life. It brings forth uh, symbolising resurrection. So I'm going to go through these feasts, and you might wonder, what, well, why do I care about these feasts? They happen in the Old Testament. Um, it's not part of the current way we do things. What I believe these feasts show us is that God has a plan, and he always has, and that we are part of that plan. And hopefully you'll see that as we go through uh, today's presentation. So the first feast I want to look at is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So if you've got your Bible, then you want to turn to Leviticus 23. I'm going to come back to Leviticus quite a few times. You may just want to stay there, and I'll quote quite a few other scriptures as we go through. 
Um, so just for the sake of time, I'm just going to read only the verses that are relevant to what I want to talk about. So um, there's a lot more points I could cover, but I won't because I've only got a, a limited time. Um, but it is definitely worth having a read through all of these verses, um, these passages in your own time. So in Leviticus 23 and verse 5, I'll start, and I'm going to put a few points up on the screen, and these are the main points I want to bring out in these verses, and we'll cover each of these uh, briefly afterwards. Um, so in Leviticus 23 and verse 5, it says, In the fourteenth day of the first month, at even is the Lord's Passover, and on the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. And down in verse 10, Speak unto the children of Israel, say unto them, When you come into the land which I give unto you, you shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. Down to verse 12, And you shall offer that day when you wave the sheaf and he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the meat offering thereof shall be two-tenths deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savour. And the drink offering thereof shall be of wine, fourth part of a hin. So there's a lot more in that passage, but I'll just focus on those verses for now. But just, I guess, to bit a bit of context to this, this is a harvest, as we mentioned, is actually the, the barley harvest that this festival is associated with. And the event in Exodus that it is, this uh, feast is remembering is, is remembering God's deliverance from uh, the, uh, the bondage. So we've got the, the ten plagues and the final plague being the, the, the firstborn dying and uh, people were saved by the blood of the lamb or the lintels um, and then they fled. So that's what this particular feast is uh, remembering. So we want to think about what, what does this feast represent? Well, this feast represents the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and there's a number of symbols that will help us identify this. So the first one I want to look at is the one that relates to the Passover. And in the Passover, they're uh, required to eat unleavened bread and um, drink the wine. And I'll just sort of paraphrase some of those verses earlier. It says, The feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord, the meat offering thereof shall be two-tenths deals of fine flour mixed with oil, and the drink offering thereof shall be of wine. So in Matthew 26, in verse 17, we read, Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? If we jump down to verse 26, now they're having the Passover, and Jesus, uh, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, many people think know this as the Last Supper. The Last Supper happened on the Passover. It happened during the festival or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we know it was the days after that was when Jesus was crucified and then he rose from the dead. All of those events occurred during this feast, the Feast of the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we read here about the, the, the bread representing Jesus' body and the wine representing his blood. 
The next one we'll look at is uh, talks about they need to bring a lamb without blemish. And in John 1, verse 29, it says, The next day John, this is John the Baptist, sees Jesus coming unto him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And as I mentioned earlier, the, the, during the Exodus, the, the blood of the Lamb the lamb was slaughtered and the blood of the Lamb was painted on the lintels of the doorposts uh, and it provided protection of the firstborn from the angel of death. And as we know through the Scriptures that the blood of Jesus Christ provides us deliverance, provides us protection, provides us forgiveness of sins. The last one I want to look at is the sheaf of the first fruits. It says in uh, back in Leviticus, you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. And again, referring this back to the resurrection of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20, it says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So again, he's talking here about Jesus. And what happened at this time is they bring just a single sheaf of barley and they bring it up to the altar and they'd wave as a wave offering before the Lord. One single sheaf, the first fruits of the harvest. And this is a, represents Jesus Christ. Jesus, the, the Son of God, the one man who bought, uh, took away sin of, of the world through his sacrifice. Just one man, um, and he was the first fruits of the dead. That's implying there'll be more people who'll be raised from the dead, just as Jesus was. So if we think about what this feast, this feast is about, this feast is about remembering how the Israelites were saved from Egypt. And we think about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what does that mean to us? That the sacrifice of Jesus Christ saves us from sin, saves us from the bondage of the world, saves us from uh, the things that held us back, the things that held us um, um, in bondage. So that's the first feast, Feast of Unleavened Bread. The second feast I want to look at is the Feast of Weeks. So again, this is another agricultural event that happened 50 days after the end of the Feast of um, Unleavened Bread. And this has actually occurred at the end of the wheat harvest. Um, And this one, the Exodus event that this one is remembering, um, in Deuteronomy 16, it talks about this same feast, and it talks about this feast is to remember they were bondmen in Egypt. So that's uh, part of what they're to remember is the bondmen. If you do some reading on this, a lot of people will also associate this feast with the giving of the law. Um, and the reason they do that is that in um, Exodus 19, it says that the law was given on the third month of the year, which is the month that this feast is held. Uh, there's no other scripture that I, I, I'm aware of that clearly outlines that the law was given on, on that date. Um, it's actually a, a Jewish tradition um, that it represents um, the giving of the law. But I'll have a bit of a read through uh, a few verses in, back in Leviticus 23 again. Um, in verse 15, it says, And you should count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number fifty days. And you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. You should bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tenth deals, they shall be of fine flour, they shall be taken with leaven, or bacon with leaven, they are the first fruits unto the Lord. And then in verse 22, 
And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest, neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So that's the end of that passage in Leviticus that talks about um, the Feast of Weeks. So I really, as I come up, I believe this represents a different kind of resurrection, not a physical resurrection, but a spiritual resurrection. This represents the resurrection of being born again. Um, and we'll have a look at a few verses to back that up. So the first point I want to talk about it, the feast occurred 50 days after the first feast. Um, the, the Greek name for the Feast of Weeks is Pentecost. It means 50 days. Um, a very famous event happened at Pentecost. I'll read it in Acts 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the beginning of the church, of which we are a part of, started on this festival. And this festival only lasted for the one day. It, it started on that day. I don't think it's coincidence that this happened. So... We'll look at the next point. It talks about they need to make two wave loaves and they should be baking with leaven. And anyone who's, who's sort of done a bit of a study of the um, scriptures realise that leaven is often considered a bad thing. It's normally considered bad. So unleavened bread is, is the normal offering um, when you were sacrificing. But in this particular festival, they had to make leavened bread, bread with yeast. And it got me thinking about why is that the case? There's a really interesting scripture in Matthew 13 and verse 33. It's a parable that Jesus speaks about. And he said unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. This parable was talking about the spread of the gospel, is that it's going to start small, but it's going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to grow till it fills the whole world. And that's what the what leaven does. It starts small, a little bit of leaven in, a, in some flour, and it raises goes right through and raises the bread. And we continue on Acts two in verse thirty eight. We read there: Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So this happened on the day of Pentecost. Again, Peter is speaking, and then he goes on to say, For the promise is unto you. And to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So in this feast, they had to have the leavened bread, which represented the, the, the gospel spreading from small, from them, their children, all that are far off, even us here in Australia, which is pretty much as far away as you can get from Jerusalem. The final one I want to look at, there's a bit of a weird verse in the context of the feasts. Um, I'll just read some of the things to refresh your memory. It says, Thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest, 
Neither shall they gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor, to the stranger. uses a few words that we probably don't use too much. What it basically means is when you harvest, don't harvest the corners of the field. And if you drop anything, don't pick it up. Leave it there. Um, and they seem to be out of place in the context of the feasts. Why would this verse be in Leviticus when it's talking about the feasts? But it doesn't seem to actually relate to things they had to do during the, the feast. But what it actually talks about, it talks about strangers and, and the poor. And I particularly want to focus, I guess, on the, the concept of the stranger that it talks about here. Um, because stranger, it meant foreigners, people who weren't Israelites, people who were Gentiles. And the concept was that if there were people who weren't Israelites, they could still be fed from the harvest that was left for them. The Lord provided for strangers, for people who weren't part of his, um, his nation of Israel. And it gives us a bit of a indication about a little bit more about this feast and what it means as far as being born again. In Deuteronomy 16, this is a, a, maybe the equivalent passage in Deuteronomy to the passage in Leviticus, and it talks about this feast there. And it says in verse 11, Thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God, thou and thy son, and thy daughter, and thy manservant, and thy maidservant, and the Levite that is within thy gates, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow that are among you in the place which the Lord thy God has chosen to place his name there. So in this particular feast, it was actually meant to include people who weren't Israelites. If there was non-Israelites living in the land, they were meant to be part of the celebrations. So it's starting to make sense why we, we had that passage there about the, the, the field and leaving the gleanings there. And we, in Matthew 24 and verse 14, Jesus is talking and says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So this resurrection event, being born again, the spiritual resurrection, is not just for the Israelite, Israelite nation. This is for everyone, all nations. And I, I believe that's why this passage is in, in, in here about leaving the gleanings for the strangers. It's to represent the fact that the gospel is available for all. It's not just for the Israelite nation or, or the Jews. It's all, which is praise the Lord, which is us, because most of us here are not Jews or, or, or Israelite heritage. Most of us, um, have taken advantage of that. In John 3, we know this passage really well. Jesus said unto, unto Nicodemus, Verily I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. So here again, this is talking about this new life. We, we, I guess we're, we're born naturally, but to be um, part of this gospel, be part of this resurrection event, we have to be born again, have this new life. In Romans 6 and verse 3 it says, Know you not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death 
that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So this feast of Pentecost, this feast of weeks, I believe is representative of the newness of life that we walk in by being baptised, born of water, being born of the Spirit and entering a new life. We reflect back on what this festival is all about. This feast is to remember that once the Israelites were strangers, once the Israelites were in bondage, but the Lord delivered them and called them unto him and gave them a place. We think about what happens to us when we're born again. The Lord has called us out of our old life. He's given us uh, a promised land. He's given us promises. And just like the Israelites were to remember that they were once strangers, they were once in bondage, therefore they should have compassion on others by leaving the gleanings for them to eat. Same as us. We've been born again. We're to remember and have compassion on those in the world who haven't yet come and partaken of the, of the, the feast that the Lord's given us of the, of the new life. Okay. Last one. Tabernacles. So this one is another agricultural event, but this one is actually the last feast of the year and it's at, right at the end of the harvest time. Uh, it's called the feast of ingathering. That means that in bringing in all the fruit. And this, the feast is to remember that they dwell in booths in the wilderness waiting to enter the promised land. So again, back in Leviticus 23, and in verse 34, it says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. We jump down to verse 39. And in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when ye have gathered in the fruit of the land, ye shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days, and on the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. And ye should take of you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and the willows of the brook. Ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And then verse 42, And ye shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in them, to dwell in booths, when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So I think this feast represents the resurrection of the saints. We'll have a look at a number of the, the key points there. So it talks about this, this feast is held at the end of the harvest and it's bringing in the remainder of the fruits, all the fruits harvested at this stage. So they're, they're all gathered in. The resurrection of the saints happens at the end of when the Lord returns. It's right at the end times. In First Thessalonians 4, verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This is the resurrection event. Jesus Christ returns and he gathers his saints, the dead and the alive, raised up to heaven. It's the ingathering. In Matthew 24 and verse 30, Jesus says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, 
and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So this final resurrection is a gathering, a gathering of all the saints, the spirit-filled throughout history, and those who are still living at that time to be with the Lord, to rule and reign with him. There's another passage, another part of the um, Leviticus where it talks about the Feast of Tabernacles and it talks about palm branches. It's just one of the types of trees it talks about and they're, they're used in building the booths that they slept in. You have to bear with me for this one a little bit. Hopefully it makes sense as I go through it. So in Revelation chapter 7, um, in chapter 2, in verse 2 it says, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice unto the four angels, to whom it was given, to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And this is a can be a difficult passage to understand. It's, it's very symbolic. Um, and there's lots of different interpretations. Um, but the interpretation that I think is a really good way of looking at it is that this actually represents the church. This 144,000 represents the church. Um, some of the reasons why I say that is that the number that it talks about here is 144,000. Um, is a really significant number when we look at numbers in the Bible, particularly in the book of Revelation. It represents um, perfect governance, it represents completeness, it represents God's calling. We think about the 12 tribes of Israel, we think about the 12 apostles. So this number 12 is very um, significant in the Bible. The number 144,000 also indicates that these people um, have been called and separated from others. So it's not everyone, it's a specific people, 144,000. We read in the scriptures in Matthew 22, many are called but few are chosen, which is talking about the church. It also talks about here that they were sealed. And in the scriptures when it talks about sealed uh, in Revelation, it's, it's talking about uh, about people, it's talking about they're sealed with the Holy Ghost. In Ephesians 1 verse 13 it says, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So this passage here, I believe, is talking about the church, 144,000. But I'm going to keep reading in, in verse 9. And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude. So you had the 144,000, and now we've got a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And in verse 13, And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? Whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So who's this great multitude? If 144,000 is the church, who is this? Well, I think it's also the church. 
And this happens a lot in Revelation. Um, it talks about the same thing, but in multiple perspe- um, perspectives. First of all, it's highlighting one aspect of the church, that they're sealed by the Holy Spirit, that they've been called, they've been separated, um, and that they're, they're special, that 144,000 representing a special number. Here is, is highlighting another aspect of the church. It's highlighting, uh, and this is the church, the resurrected church it's talking about here. What it's highlighting there is that the church is going to be large. It's going to be vast. Right throughout history, there's been thousands, there's been millions of people filled with the Holy Spirit from all nations. It also talks about them holding palms in their hand. I finally got to the palm part. So this is likely an allusion to the Feast of the Tabernacles, um, where palm branches were used to build the booths where they dwelled in. So the, those tabernacles were to remind the Israelites that the Lord was with them when they were in the wilderness prior to entering the Promised Land. So like the Israelites, the, the saints uh, it speaks of here in, in Revelation, us, those who remain faithful, um, we've come out of great tribulation and the Lord was always with us even through that tribulation, like he was in the wilderness with the children of Israel. He was always with them. So that's what I believe is the, the final feast is talking about, is the feast, is the resurrection uh, when Jesus returns and, and the saints are called to be with him. Okay. Almost finished and you say, praise the Lord. Um, so what does this mean to us? What it means is God is following his plan. Right back when Leviticus was written, which is about 1400 BC, he laid out the feasts. And within those feasts, he put a plan in place, which has been revealed over time. The feast of unleavened bread, representing the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's happened. He's been resurrected. That represented deliverance from bondage, deliverance from sin. Jesus has delivered us from sin. The second part of the plan, the, uh, the Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, which um, I've had a mind blank to remember what that one's about, but it'll come back to me in a second. Um, first fruits, the, the wave, the, the bread with the leaven, the gospel growing throughout time, the new life. Um, through being born again, the day of Pentecost. That's happened, and that's the resurrection event we're in right now. The final resurrection hasn't happened yet. The Feast of Tabernacles hasn't happened yet. That's coming, maybe pretty soon, when the Lord's going to return and his saints will be called up to meet him in the air. So God is following his plan. He has a plan. He's following it, and we have a part in that plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.